This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. I want to start today with two stories that kind of overlap. In fact, they do overlap. The first involves a discussion and then a vote that was held at City Council yesterday to see if there's a way to possibly ban hate groups from using public property, either using them for events or renting them or just basically being there and looking like they are somehow appropriately on site. The second, speaking of that, is a demonstration that is apparently two demonstrations really planned for this weekend that is going to be on Lock Street with opposing factions from the last Lock Street thing that didn't go so well. These are obviously events, two stories, as I say, that overlap because you've got groups that some would define as hate, some would define different ways. And it may then, to a lot of people, sound like a no-brainer. What do we do with these? Is there a way to ban groups that would cause hatred, that would espouse hate? Is there a way to ban them from this city, from city property, from city facilities? And you would think that may be a no-brainer, but it would also appear, as you look a little deeper into it, that this would involve a really tricky bit of constitutional footwork. Nonetheless, they have begun the discussion. Mayor Fred Eisenberger, uh, who seconded the motion brought forward by Councillor Tom Jackson yesterday to begin looking into this. The mayor joins us now. Mayor, thanks for doing this today. Good to be with you, Scott, as always. This... um. There are folks in the community, and I know you've heard from them, I know many of them spoke at council uh, during this discussion, who would like to see some kind of ban on these groups, on groups that would be defined as hate groups from city facilities. I guess the trouble that I have, or the question I guess I have, is how who defines or how do you define what a hate group is? Well, and that's the central question, in my view. It's the same point that I made. Uh, you know, as, as much as we all like to say, and this is important, that we don't tolerate hate and discrimination and misogyny and all the uh, all the things that we don't want to have happen in our community. Uh, the, you know, to, to broaden that, uh, to narrow that down to you know defining in a you know a group in a particular way is, is is particularly challenging. So that that certainly was something that was talked about yesterday. But having said that, I mean, we, uh, you know, if, if we're, and I think we are collectively saying that hate uh, and hate groups that espouse hate or violence or any of these other things that uh, that create division is not tolerable in our community, then we certainly have to back that up with some actions that uh, would prevent these kind of things from happening. And so the notion of not allowing them to use city facilities, you know, I'm, I'm more talking about uh, city park, city uh, rec center, city hall. Uh, you know, we're not talking streets or, or uh, roadways because uh, that's public realm space. But any civic, civically owned facilities that uh, that we have authority over, uh, I think the notion was don't don't allow these groups if they're definitively hate groups that are espousing violence against others or discrimination against others to use those facilities as a platform to espouse their uh, their hatred. And you know, no one could argue against that. The question becomes. Uh, who and how do you define what a hate group is? You know what? We know that many groups don't like each other for whatever reason, uh, but you can't necessarily consider them hate groups unless they're actually espousing, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, venom and hatred that would harm and hurt and, uh, you know, other people. And so uh, we're going to ask our, our legal department to uh, to dig into that. Uh, there, there is the Charter of Freedom of Rights uh, that we have are guided by. There's the issue of freedom of free speech, uh, you know, all of those are complicating issues. But having said that, 
Uh, does the city have an authority to say to any group that comes that is defined as a hate group, no, you can't use City Hall, no, you can't use the City Hall grounds, no, you can't use our, our rec center or our library as platforms to, uh, to disseminate your hate? And I think you and I and hopefully most of the people who are listening would share the view that we racist, racist views, for example, are something we don't want to have people having in this city and don't want them, as you say, espousing them. Where this, again, where it gets a little tricky to me is, is it illegal to be racist? And, and it may not be what we want, but is it illegal or does it only become illegal when you actually do something to act on those racist impulses or those racist feelings? Well, I mean, I think I, I think there's a there's a line that uh, that you know wishes harm on other people, and I think that's when you know even if you if you do that verbally, there's there's certainly laws against that, uh, you know, threatening people or threatening uh, you know Muslims or threatening uh, you know Jewish or Palestinians or whatever. Uh, you know, the moment those those become threatening issues, you know, saying them as a group doesn't make it any better, and so uh, I think there is a line that says. Uh, you know, you are you are a hate group if you are threatening other people with potential harm, even though you may not be doing it, but but you're advocating for it. That's uh that's a threat that is uh, that is justifiably something that we can go after and, and lay claim to it being a group that we don't want to have here and we don't want to work with. And so people are, are people are entitled to have an opinion. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I would say on the anarchist side that if you want to be an anarchist, you're free to do that uh, as a as a philosophy, but you're not free to act out and terrorize or or, or mask yourself and run through the streets and throw rocks and uh, and and try and create the kind of harm and nuisance that uh, that your your anarchist views uh, try to uphold. Uh, that's that's way over the line, and uh, we should be allowed to not have to work with anarchists in our community. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Chatting with Mayor Fred Eisenberger about a proposal that was brought up, a motion that was brought up at council yesterday in a discussion about whether it's possible, whether it's wise, whether it's possible, whether it's doable to ban hate groups from using public city-owned facilities. And Mr. Mayor, as, as I was thinking about this, the other part is, I'm wondering if it, while the intent is a good one, while the intent is a pure one to try and get rid of these groups, if it becomes a giant can of worms. That's the other fear, I guess, because, you know, we've seen yeah. just in the in the federal realm with the NDP leader, Jugmeet Singh. He's He was at a, a, a rally speaking. Sikhs say that the Indians are terrorists. Some of them, some, in, some ter- Indians say the Sikhs are terrorists. You've got uh, Israelis saying Palestinians and back and forth. You could end up with group after group after group coming forward demanding that other groups not be allowed to appear on city property. It it could become much bigger than I think maybe anyone thinks, right? Yeah, and I I think we fully realize that. Uh, But, you know, but the the, the good part is I think uh, it's an effort worth digging into. Uh, You know, we we see division happening in other parts of the world in a a, significant way, certainly across the border. Uh, You know, the uh, the effort to try and tamp that down I think is worthy. Uh, You know, we need to to speak loudly about not wanting to have that kind of divisive uh, atmosphere in our in our cities and in our communities, and I, I, I would stand against it in every possible way, and uh, and and this is kind of a representation of that as we're moving forward, Scott. So I think I think the effort is worthy. Uh, it, it it is a bit of a hornet's nest. I think we all realize that. We all want to ensure that we're not 
pitting one group against another just because they dislike one another and have had long-standing, you know, political issues between one another. And I, you know, I can think of uh, Serbians and Croatians. Sure. Uh, you know, there has been some history there, and so. And so, uh, so we, you know, the, these are these are issues that uh, that you know, you know, in, in my view, don't don't enter into the, the hate group category. It's just kind of political differences that 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 don't don't manifest themselves uh, in in the next generation and don't manifest themselves on the street in terms of people acting them out in a violent kind of way. I think the uh, the, the the definition becomes when when we have groups. That are purporting to or threatening to act out, and and potentially harm uh, other individuals, uh, that becomes the kind of hate group that I think we're talking about. And, and you, uh, you know, the anarchists uh, that you know recently very proudly proclaimed that they're uh, you know they're very very proud of the fact that they you know created mayhem on the street and fired rocks through windows and damaged cars and vehicles. Uh, you know, that's the kind of uh, I think that's the kind of hate group that uh, that ought not be allowed to use our facilities. If we if we know precisely who they are, they you know the school board shouldn't be renting to an anarchist group anymore if they're connected to this in any way. And that brings us to this Sunday, this weekend, because we do have these two conflicting rallies. I mean, I, let's change the word. We hope it's not conflicting rallies, but it could be uh, Sunday afternoon on Lock Street again. You can't. Could preemptively ban these people, even though some people would say, just don't let them do it. They, they do have the right to be there until they go over the line, correct? I mean, that's still their right publicly right. to do that. Right. So, we, you know, we had a discussion uh, just, just now with the police services board. The, uh, the, the chief and the police are prepared. And, uh, and, and you're 100% right. Uh, you know, peaceful demonstrations espousing a particular point of view is uh, not something that we can prevent. Um, and, 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 you know, generally what you try to do is to keep those groups apart to not create uh, any additional mayhem and not incite them to, uh, to attack one another. And, and there's also the issue of, you know, potentially an angry crowd that might get involved uh, and, and take out some frustrations that they, uh, they feel as a result of some of the recent events that have happened on Lock Street. So it's a potentially, potentially conf- conflicting, uh, difficult issue. I think the hope is that neither one of these groups understanding the problem, uh, you know, will, will come out and do what they uh, espouse that they're going to do. That would be the best result. But in the absence of that, uh, you know, the police are going to be prepared to react in an appropriate way, uh, depending on what, uh, what uh, you know, what evolves. And so if it's peaceful, uh, they'll be there to monitor that to ensure that it remains peaceful. And if it isn't peaceful, they'll be prepared to take action to ensure that it is. When will we have, we've just got a minute left here, when will we know, or when will, sorry, when will the response come back from count, from staff about the proposal you brought forward, the motion? When will we have some idea about what could actually be done by the city? Is that, is there a time frame for that yet? No, there wasn't a timeline put on it because we know it's a complex issue. So I, I, I wouldn't expect, you know, an answer, a, a concrete answer back in, in, a, in a month, uh, maybe in the next few months, they'll come back with some preliminary thoughts about uh, how this might break down. So I think that's a reasonable amount of time, given the complexity of it. And uh, you don't want to, uh, you know, hastily do something that, uh, that creates potentially a bigger problem that, uh, that is then unresolvable from either a constitutional perspective or from a legal perspective. So uh, this, this issue is going to be very, very carefully uh, kind of thought through, and uh, if there's going to be a recommendation made, that it, it uh, should be able to stand up 
to uh, legal scrutiny and constitutional scrutiny if, uh, if need be. Mayor Fred Eisenberger, appreciate the time today. Thank you for this. Uh, it was a pleasure, Scott. Thank you. Uh, just to that last point that the mayor raised about constitutional scrutiny, here is what the Charter of Rights says about people and public property and everything else in this country. Everyone has the following fundamental freedoms, freedom of conscience and religion, freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, that's important with public property, including freedom of the press and other media of communication, freedom of peaceful assembly, and freedom of association. It does make it a little more complicated. You are allowed, even if you have views that we find abhorrent, you are permitted to hold those, you are permitted to rally, you are permitted to have that expression, you just have to do it peacefully. So how do you balance that with banning them from public property? It probably could be done. It's just not really easy. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Don't know if you've driven along Main Street in the last little while. The statue in front of the what you was the Canadian Football Hall of Fame still stands there. The Tin Man tackling the other Tin Man. They're still there. But the Hall of Fame is not there. The Hall of Fame has been closed up for a little while now. It's kind of been in a form of limbo. We don't. Most people don't really know what's going on with the Hall of Fame. Didn't know what was going to happen next. Well, there was a presentation at Hamilton City Council yesterday about what is going to be going on. There is movement here. That's good news. The Canadian Football Hall of Fame is coming back to life. It's kind of been like Han Solo in cryogenic freezing for a while. It is coming back to life now. Expectations are that this new Hall of Fame will be at Tim Hortons Field open by the start of the football season. That is what we are hearing. Well, Mark DeNoble is the executive director and COO of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He's out at CFL Week in Winnipeg right now, but he joins us. Mark, thanks for doing this today. Hey, Scott. How are you? I am great. I am, though, a little... (laughs) I, I'm, I heard, I hear that it's going to be open. The new Hall of Fame is going to be open by opening day. Is that possible? Is that really going to happen? Yeah, we're, we're, that is what we're targeting. Uh, you know, it's going to be, I'm coming back, I'm flying back on Monday, and it's all hands on deck. And uh, we were waiting for the, uh, the city council uh, to go through their uh, procedures. And we've been working kind of behind the scenes on a few things. So, yeah, I mean it's all full tilt, uh, you know, moving the statue, everything. It's uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite the uh, quite the uh, venture. The Tin Man is going to be at Tim Hortons Field. Uh, we are planning to put it on Melrose uh, Avenue North, uh, right by Gate Three. Wow. So, well, you know what? That is the that is the thing that symbolizes the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. So it kind of has to be there, doesn't it? Yeah, it is part of the the museum. It was their place in '72. So it's time to uh, move it there and make everybody proud, not just the uh, Hall of Famers, but, you know, the city of Hamilton that uh, we are moving and uh, we're moving in the right direction. And I'm, uh, even though I know it's a tight timeline, I'm very, uh, very enthusiastic and very happy about it. Okay. So there was a plan initially, and I think that we've moved away from what the original plan was. What, explain what this Hall of Fame is going to look at. Where's it going to be? What's going to be in it? Tell us, because I think most people have had this vision of something and now it's completely different. What is it going to look like? Like, okay. So the the majority of the Hall of Fame will be on uh, the the suite level or the the club level, sorry, uh, level four of the Hall of Fame. And uh, where the Pinty's Hall of Fame room was, and uh, Barry's, and uh, 
the uh, Bel Air Championship Club. That will be the Hall of Fame will be incorporated into that with uh, new technology uh, video uh, displays in the club suite and the hallway behind the uh, the clubs the uh, the uh, suites is going to be the new shrine room. Okay, so the so in front, so the windows looking over the field is going to be the Hall of Fame demonstration, the stuff that's going to be on display, and behind that is going to be the busts. Correct. The, the bus will be in the hallway of the uh, the, the club area, and the uh, artifacts will be actually incorporated into the club area, but not blocking the view of the field, obviously. And do I understand correctly, because I read this and I couldn't believe it, is it running the entire length of the stadium? Is this thing going to be that entire floor, basically? We're, we're going to put displays along within that uh, within that area, yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to stretch them out along the pillars and all that. So there'll be displays that we can interchange uh, weekly or uh, every two weeks and uh, get some of the artifacts that haven't seen the uh, the uh, light of day for a while and uh, uh, interchange them uh, for game days. Is that the plan then, that this will be a, for lack of a better word, a fluid Hall of Fame? So if you come one day, you might see something different if you come back two weeks later to another game? That's the intent. We want to get, we want to be more of a, uh, what museums are supposed to be, interchangeable displays, uh, hopefully, we'll you know we'll be able to upload you know old games on the screen, uh, bios of the Hall of Famers, that sort of thing, so people can uh, you know research and walk along there and uh, enjoy. And Not just during games, but off off hours. Okay, so what exactly? What do you? What will be on display? I mean, we know the busts are going to be there, and those yeah. are for the yeah. honored members. But other than right. those, what will be on display? Oh, we're going to have uh, you know we're going to have sweaters and helmets and shoulder pads. Uh, uh, old cleats, uh, a storyline on the other side of the wall where the busts are uh, to uh, use some uh, pictures. We've got uh, a lot of pictures that we can uh, use on the wall and uh, let people just walk through memory lane. Have you? I mean, there must have been a lot of talking that's been done over the last couple of years since you've been shut down with people, with football fans. What have they told you? If there's going to be another football Hall of Fame, and it was, you know, it was a little questionable about what was going to happen. What have they told you they want? What do they want to see when they go to look at the uh, hall? They want to. They they want to go through history. That's that's the main thing. I mean, everybody, you know, being, since we're being shut down, obviously, it's a shame that everything's in storage, and you know, we've we've kept everything under under climate control and all that. So uh, they just want a place to, you know, visit the stars of yester uh, yesteryear and. Visiting teams have come up, and you know they've always said, "Well, where's this Hall of Fame? Well, this is the plan, and well, when's it going to go?" So, I mean, it, it's something that you know everybody's got a, a different opinion on it, but it's a matter of just getting the artifacts out that people can enjoy and do uh, you know you know remember those uh, moments from yesteryear that whether they be a 1961 Grey Cup program or uh, you know a picture from 1895 or whatever and. And they just want to, you know, they just want to see history and done the right way technology-wise because we've always, you know, at the hall, we've always been fighting that fact that we, we've never been able to get that, uh, you know, that uh, information into the 21st century. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Chatting with Mark Noble, the executive director of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, because it's getting ready to reopen. It's been... Off in limbo somewhere, and Mark, where, where has it been? Where's where have you had all the stuff all this time while it's not been open? 
Uh, we well, we've got a lot of stuff down uh, in the uh, in the basement of 58 Jackson uh, Jackson Street West, and we've got other areas that we've got uh, items stored. So uh, it's it's all it hasn't really it, we haven't unpacked it since the day we did pack <laughs> we did ship it in. So uh, it is all in good shape though. So that's I can tell you that much. What about the busts? Because they can't all fit in that basement. Where do they go? <laughs> Well, besides being in my basement, no. Oh, really? I'm kidding. Um, uh, we've got them in storage as well, too. So they're all well looked after. We do have a few that uh, have made it to Gate 3 display area. But, uh, again, with uh, limited resources for uh, storage and all that, we, we kept it to a minimum. There was talk at one time, and I don't know if it has gone away, that there would be hopefully a permanent home, which you're now talking about, but also some kind of traveling thing that could go across the country because there's also eight other cities that have CFL teams that would be interested. Is that still in play at all, dear? Are you still hoping to make a regular traveling caravan kind of thing? Well, we've done that for the past. This is a, this will be year three of it. We've got a great relationship with Kubota, and we're doing uh, road trips uh, uh, Calgary, Edmonton, uh, Regina, uh, Montreal, Ottawa this year with uh, artifacts, and uh, you know, and the, uh, the Great Cup Trophy is going along with it. So we have, we have been doing that. That's uh, that's what we've been working on, and we've got a great uh, relationship with Kubota now, and it's uh, it's. Uh, it's interesting to see everybody's uh, faces when you bring in the old artifacts mm. and we display them properly. Well, you know, and that's such a huge thing, isn't it? That, the, the old place, I mean, there was just no money, and so it's that's really right. hard to make anything look good when it looks bad. And, I mean, I, I don't want to be so ridiculous, but, no. I mean, if, if you can, the, the way it's displayed, the, the way it's presented will just make such a difference, I think. Yeah, and that's where the tech, well, you know, in the in the case of Tim Hortonsville, that's where the technology helps. But you know, uh, on the road trips, we you know we do still the you know, the little tent cards and uh, set them up, and uh, and people, you know, people understand what we're up against, and uh, but they understand and uh, they love the fact. I mean, people in Calgary and Edmonton, they love the fact that we're bringing out their artifacts because there's, you know, we've got a Edmonton Eskimos jacket from the fabulous fifties and. People remember, you know, that team at you know at an older age, and uh, it's amazing how they talk to their kids and their grandkids about you know Jackie Parker and all that, and they actually know who they are. So, uh, you know, it's all about getting into the 21st century now, and that's why I'm so excited about it because this is the this is the light I wanted to see at the end of the tunnel, and I wanted to see this through and make sure that it's a positive impact, not for just for the city of Hamilton, but I've got 296 members. I have to worry about that's that's my clientele and you know they ask the same questions and you know uh, they say where's my bust uh, what's happening and I just told the guys last night from the class of 2018 and a few that uh, were at the uh, the announcement last night what's happening and I told them about the plans and they were really excited about it why though has it now and I don't think it's you I don't know if it's you but why has it taken so long because it, it has been a few years since you closed down why is it taking this long to try and get it to where we're at now um I think it's just been what is the right plan. Uh, you know, this is the second, I think, I guess it's the second, you know, coming of the Hall of Fame. We've got to do it right. We know it didn't work at all the old way. Uh, this is now a little different because, you know, the city, the city's been generous with uh, their funding. Uh, now the CFL is looking after it. We have, a, you know, a commissioner that is, was an ex-player and has played with Hall of Famers and, uh, you know, uh, I guess everybody was in the state of flux about, you know, the Hall of Fame and what's it supposed to look like and what do people want. A lot of questions, and, and it really comes down to money and sponsors. And 
you know, it's a, nobody's going to give you a sponsorship for no rate of return. Nobody's going to give you $40,000 if they're not getting anything out of it. Uh, donations are great, but, you know, they are hard to come by. There's a lot of work to do to raise money. Um, so it's, you know, everybody can say you should have done this, should have done that. You know, I look, you know, this is, this is a great scenario. This is what, you know, the bus will never leave Hamilton. Uh, you know, this is going to be a tourist attraction for the city on game day, non-game day. There's no admit, uh, admission charges anymore. Um, and can anybody get in? Because it's on the sweet level. So normally I'd wonder, can anyone at this game go in? Uh, after the game, yes. But we've also got two days designated where people can come up for free. Okay. So, you know, so I think that, and I don't remember exactly the day. I think it's Wednesdays and Saturdays, I believe, where people can come up for free and walk around. And, uh, you know, we've got to be, you know, be fresh and we've got to do the museum business better than we have in the past. And I think with the CFL's help and, uh, you know, Greg Dick helping me along, uh, he's been a great, great help. And I think we finally turned the corner and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It is uh, supposedly supposed to be open on opening day. We will have our fingers crossed that that would happen. You have told us it will be. I believe you wholeheartedly, Mark DeNoble. So you are on the record of saying this will be ready for opening day, and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing it there. Mark DeNoble, the COO and Executive Director of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Appreciate the time, sir. Travel safely. Thanks, Scott. Thank you very much. That Bye-bye. is, uh, you know, that's good news. We, we, this sport, this league... This needs something like this. You need to celebrate your history. But you don't need to celebrate your history in the way we had it before that was not really celebrating anything other than dust collection. It's got to be done right. And if this can be done right, fantastic. We wait to see what this is going to look like. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Do you see anything in the yard that I can give to you? I don't know if you're going to give anything or get anything for free. But let me tell you a little story. Because Russell Crowe, the gladiator himself, you know who we're talking about, Russell Crowe, the actor, the Aussie actor. Well, he and his wife, you know, things sometimes don't work out. Things have ended poorly. He and his wife are heading for Splitsville. They're getting a divorce, all that kind of stuff, all the cliches. But unlike some people, I guess Russell Crowe is a bit of an emotional guy. He's a bit of a softy. He doesn't as, well, maybe. He doesn't really want to have a lot of stuff around the house that he had in the house when his wife was with him. I mean, maybe it's memories. Maybe it's spite. I don't know what it is. But he wants to get rid of a bunch of the stuff. So he's having an auction. You can be... You can buy part of Russell Crowe's life, and then you can be Russell Crowe in your own way. So what kind of stuff is Russell Crowe auctioning off? Well, what kind of stuff would you think Russell Crowe might auction off? I mean, we're not talking, by the way, in case you're wondering, he's not doing like flatware and plates. This is not that kind of auction. This is the... Well, I don't know what this kind of is. The auction is going to be done in Sydney, Australia on the 7th of April. There is a catalog out through Sotheby's Auction House, which is doing this. And it's got a quite a cheeky photo on the cover of him holding what looks like he's, he's wearing a tux, holding what looks like an old fashioned a drink, sending cheers. It's called The Art of Divorce in fancy script. So what kind of things could you buy to become 
like Russell Crowe, if you wanted, in his online auction, his divorce auction for the art of divorce? Well, let me tell you. And I'll drag Ben in here for a second. Ben's on the other side of the glass. He's the guy who presses the buttons every night and answers all the phones to see which of these things he might want to put some money on if he had the if he had the cash and was interested in becoming somewhat Russell Crowe-esque, gladiat- gladiatorial. What would he actually put money on? Well, no, I'm just going to go through a few of them here. I don't have time. It's a whole catalog. He's going. He's given. He's selling a lot of stuff. Number one on the list. A life-size wooden horse, straight from Gladiator. This was used in the making of the movie Gladiator. It looks unbelievably lifelike. It will be going for between $2,000 and $4,000, a life-size wooden horse that you could not tell is not a real horse until you touched it. Would you be wanting to put 4000 bucks down on a wooden horse that was life-size? I can't say I am on this one. I mean, it looks very lovely. It's a brown horse. It almost looks a little sweaty, like it's been running around the Coliseum. Well, if you mentioned that it was sweaty, then now I'm willing Well, it just has that kind of glisteny kind of look to it. Now, that would go, I'm sure if you put down four bills for a wooden horse, you need to then put down $10,000 on the next item because this is a fully functioning Roman chariot. That was used in the scenes where, in the Gladiator, when they're, if you haven't seen, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. They're racing around the Gladiators and they're, anyway, this is, this is a full-on chariot. I'm not sure if it's roadworthy. What would happen if you attached a chariot to a horse and went down Main Street these days? I don't, there's no license plate on it, so I don't think you're allowed to do that, but 10,000 bucks is what they are thinking this one is going to go for. I thought it would be more than that, but 10000 bucks for a chariot. I'll say this. You need to have somewhere in your house large to be able to display this properly. I was thinking this was going to be the greatest Christmas Day ornaments on your front lawn kind of thing. That could work. Although around here, I don't know if you want to get snow on it. That would ruin your $10,000 chariot. He has 19 different guitars with an estimated total value of $175,000, because he has a band. Uh, I think the band, the band was called um, something about Grunts. It was a weird name. But anyway, he, he was a lead singer for a, a band. So you could buy $175,000 worth of guitars. I was going to say cigars. Guitars from Russell Crowe. Uh, this may be the oddest one, the oddest item in the book. He did a movie called Cinderella Man, which was about a boxer, old-time boxing. His leather jockstrap from that movie is go is up for $600 as a starting bid. Now, while that may be a, a, an authentic piece of movie memorabilia and may be reflective of a time in sports that might be of some historical interest... Maybe it's just me, but honestly, on a list of things that I never want to own from another man, it's his used jockstrap. I just can't think who is the person who's going to say when they say, and, and now up on, you know, now up for bidding, Russell Crowe's leather jockstrap. Do we have any bidders? I'm not going to be the guy that throws my hand up and goes, yeah, me, bring me the leather jockstrap. That is not going to be the bidding that I'm going to be doing. Anyway, 600 bucks for a leather nugget holder. 
Uh, $45,000 for a custom-made chopper, like motorcycle that he had done. That one's kind of cool. It looks really cool. It's in the colors of his favorite rugby team. So it's if you like red or almost orangey and green and like a deep chopper with the wheel way out front, you might want that one. How about a 300-year-old cannon? I don't know what Russell Crowe is doing with a 300-year-old cannon, but that one's going to be apparently going for 6000 only. But if you thought that was ridiculous, how about an actual dinosaur skull? <laughs> that for, for reasons, I don't know why he has an actual dinosaur skull. $40,000, that'll cost you to get in on the bidding on that one. Uh, and then um, a couple other ones here. He has, uh, from 1986, Johnny Cash's 1986 Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word Album. I don't know what album that was. $300,000. Roughly many, well, I don't know, I can't do the math. Many times more than you would have had to pay for his sweaty old used leather jockstrap. I'd still take the Grammy Award. And a seat back. With his name on it, you know, in the the actors, they have their seats where they sit in the studio or before they go on, and it says Russell Crowe. So if you really want to be Russell Crowe, throw on the jock and then sit in his seat, and you're there. But anyway, I, I, who's going to buy this stuff? I don't know who's going to buy this stuff. Somebody probably will. I really want to get the person who buys the jock on here, though, to ask, what were you thinking? That's just, that. there's something wrong about that. It's just sweaty and not from a good place. Ugh. You're listening to the Scott Radley show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 only on 900 CHML. Now I got to bring in Bubba O'Neill here with an apology. We're a week late on the big birthday music there, Bubba. Happy birthday! A few, a few days be up belatedly. Thank you very much. I'm so old. You, uh, you know, most people would not know this because you don't look your age, but you turned 67 years old this week. It's amazing. <laughs> well, you know what they say: black don't crack. <laughs> I don't think it's quite 67. I'm being facetious. Don't call CHCH and go. Is he really 67? No, he's not. He's I not. Gar- Happy birthday! I, I though. guarantee you, there will be someone that either phones this station or your station. <laughs> Requesting that information. Happy birthday, sir. Is Bubba 67 years old? Yeah, well, you know what? We'll leave that as a mystery, but uh, the answer is no. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, I, I, a lot of, I've got a couple things I want to get to uh, to talk some, uh, some stuff for the world of sports. And I want to go here first because I find this a really interesting discussion. Cassie Campbell, Pascal, who many people know, they remember her from her days playing for Canada in the Canadian Olympic women's hockey team. They now know her from Hockey Night in Canada. She is, I think a fair word would be a trailblazer for women in hockey. She's been one of the first people ever to do color commentary on Hockey Night in Canada. Maybe the only woman to do that. I'm not sure still. However, she also was a governor in the National Women's Hockey League. That was a... um, Sorry, the CWHL, the Canadian, there's two of them. And this is kind of the point. There are two professional women's hockey leagues, one in Canada, one in the States. Neither one has really been able to gain much traction. And she has stepped down as governor of the league saying, basically, you know what? I think what she's saying is come back and be in touch with me when you guys can figure it out and get together because it makes no sense for us to have two competing leagues. We're not getting anywhere. 
Do you believe, Bubba, that even if these two women's hockey leagues were to get together, do you believe they could become a going concern sports-wise, or are people just happy to watch women's hockey at the World Championships and the Olympics, and that's more than enough? Well, I think you're always going to have a, a, a small percentage of the public that will definitely be interested in following women's hockey, you know, as you would the National Hockey League or the the Ontario Hockey League. I mean, that percentage of people is smaller. I think you're looking at, you know, obviously a a female crowd, probably uh, younger up-and-coming hockey players of the female variety, ones that are probably, you know, hoping to play in the lead or league or ones that are going to play, you know, in the NCAA situations or right here in the uh, U-sport situation. But uh, to, to have two leagues, Scott, is, is a recipe for disaster. And let me tell you this. It was a recipe for disaster for American open-wheel auto racing when they had two leagues. Uh, it, it, it really did kill, I mean, at the time, kart back in the middle 90s was actually competing with Formula One for eyes. And when the split happened, the league never really regained, even though they've come together after a long separation, they never really hit the public again, the North American public for open wheel auto racing. And I know hockey is very popular in this country, but to have two leagues is a recipe for disaster. And I agree with Miss Campbell to say, you guys figure it out. But I just, I look, I am supportive of the women's game. I uh, am impressed with so many of the players that play the women's game. I'm, I don't know if I have great confidence that even if they do figure this out, if it's suddenly going to become a huge sport. I just, I, I... Well, 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 then, hold on. That's a big difference, though, Scott. A huge sport. I think... Okay, how about a competitive sport with the men as far as for eyeballs? No, never. Never. Come on. Who are we fooling here? And I don't even think the women on the board would tell you that it could compete with the National Hockey League. I mean, I, I don't think that would be the. I don't think that would that would be with their mission statement. I think what their mission statement would be is to provide a competitive hockey league for women, uh, one that could really help out the national teams, perhaps even help out the national teams for not only Canada and the United States, but maybe for other countries as well. So I think if you keep the your expectations to a realistic level, maybe exactly like what the National Lacrosse League have done. Uh, and they've stayed alone. I mean, um, even to some extent, Major League Soccer, they know they're not Syria. Uh, they know they're not the premiership, but they have put together a good business plan that works for for that league. Okay, but to make it work and to allow women to stay in the game and not find other jobs and, and to encourage them potentially to say, I'm going to put off a family for a few years, which some of them want to go and do, you have to have money to pay them for a salary. And this is where, so could you build a league that you could have enough money being generated so that someone playing in this league could make, they're not going to make NHL money. We know that. I think we know that, but could they make a decent living? Could you come up with a league that will get enough eyeballs and enough traction that everyone can make 75 grand, uh, even that much? Could you get that far ahead with no, women's hockey? Not a chance, Scott. There's no possible way that in my opinion, and this is just my opinion. I again, and, and believe me, I am a lover of female sports. Uh, I, I mean, I don't follow it, you know, daily as much as you know, as some other leagues as I do. I, I just be honest there. But I would like it to be successful. But for a league like that to have players being paid that much money, it will. It's you know what? Not only is it a, it, it just won't happen. It's never going to happen. 
Um, and I, I rarely say never. There are just a, not enough eyes, a TV contract, nor do I think there is a daily interest in a league like that that could pay women that much. Now, could there be a league where maybe ladies get a, per diem, a good per diem just for travel, maybe $10,000 a year? Again, well, well I mean, that already exists. That's what these two leagues well, do I right think, now. Well, I think, that's, I think that's the level, and then you start from there, and maybe there's some growth as you can get some national sponsorship, which is going to be very, very difficult because you have to be able to prove to the sponsors that this is something that is you know, going to be mega and that it's worth it, you know, for, for your sponsors to, to, you know, invest into the league. What I've not been able to figure out from either of these leagues, to be honest, and some of them, you know, there are times when um, they have been able to get 1,000 people, maybe 1,500 people to some of these games, but what I've not been able to understand is where are the young girls, especially, and, and you can say, well, the young boys should go and watch them too. Fine. Sure. But where are the young girls who are coming out with their parents in droves to see their heroes that would suddenly bump up the numbers enough that TV audiences and everyone else are saying, yeah, we got to jump on this. There's really something here. It just, it's been, if you're not going to be able to appeal to young girls to start with, right. to me, that's your that's your starting point. That's your foundational point for a league like this. Because then if the young girls want to come back, they'll bring their parents. And if their parents are coming, they'll want to bring their brothers because they can't stay at home by themselves. And then they become fans. You build and build. If you can't get them, though, to buy in right away, I just don't know how you build it. That's the problem. I don't know how you get this thing to become big enough to be self-supportive. But I can't, Scott. I think there has to be a realistic thought of what this league can possibly be. And I think that's the way you certainly have to start. And, and, and you're right. These games don't generally more attract more than, you know, three, 4,000, if even that much, to, to a game on a, on a regular game, uh, regular season basis. I mean, I, I, would, I, mean I, I would love to know what a season ticket base for, you know, one of these teams in this league w- would be. I mean, they're not playing in, in big rinks. I do understand and I've noticed that Sportsnet has, as you said, maybe a lost leader uh, to promote women's hockey, are televising some of the games and going full out with full coverage. I know Cassie Campbell has been uh, one of the uh, color commentators uh, for this league as well, too. But again, it, it, to think that it could ever eclipse anything close to what we see in the National Hockey League would be just nothing short of silly. No, and no, I mean, no one's saying I, eclipse. I, yeah. I, 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 or even, you know, match, I should say. Not eclipse. Match is probably a better word. I mean, even look at the at WNBA, right, which is affiliated with the NBA. Um, it would have to take the National Hockey League. You would have to call it the Women's National Hockey League. I think that's the only possible way they would have something – that would be secure, that could probably pay them the finances that maybe they were looking for, that they could play in bigger stadiums. And again, I don't know if that would look kind of like the Bulldogs playing in Cops Coliseum, or sorry, First Ontario Centre. Um, but I think you would need to get the National Hockey League in behind this league to promote it and give it the attention that it probably deserves. Because women's basketball had tried several different leagues before the WNBA, and they all failed. And what they've done here with the WNBA is, is, is a product that, you know, people come out. Sometimes 10,000 10, people show up to the Staples Center in L.A. to see the Sparks. But uh, you need to fix yourself with the, the big boys. Or the, yeah, okay. Uh, let me switch topics, but we're going to stay with hockey for a second. And this one 
You know, th- th- this is a tough question to ask because, well, let me just get to it. The Stanley Cup, there are traditions around the Stanley Cup, the actual physical Stanley Cup. And maybe the number one tradition that exists with the Stanley Cup is that the only people, and you know this, Bubba, the only people who are allowed to lift the Stanley Cup overhead in that championship pose are... The winning team. The people who have won the Stanley Cup. You must, and not even just, not even as I understand it, not even just the winning team. It's got to be the people directly involved. You can't have, if you're a player, you can't give it to your mom to raise over her head. The tradition is, the rules are, the etiquette is only the players and the organizational people are allowed to do that. That is what makes, that's part of the special thing around it. So I raise all that because last week or the week before, the Stanley Cup made a surprise visit down to Florida to visit the Stoneman Douglas hockey team. That is the school that had the horrible school shooting a few weeks prior to. They then won their state championship. It was a great story. The Stanley Cup goes down to visit with the Stoneman Douglas hockey team, and pictures are taken of all the Stoneman Douglas guys holding the Stanley Cup over their heads in the championship pose should they, now again, what they went through was awful. I'm not arguing about that. Should they have been allowed to break all tradition and all etiquette around this thing that everyone else has not ever been allowed to do? And should the hockey people have said, yeah, go ahead and do that? Or should they have said, pose with it, hold it, but you can't put it up over your head because you didn't win it? Wow. This may be one of the more difficult questions you've ever asked me. Uh I want to tell you something here too, and and even though I do carry some tradition with me, in terms of you know the way things go in sports, you know there was a time where in Wimbledon you could only wear white, but you know, times change, and traditions change, and some of them get realistic and some of them don't. And you know what? Are, am I going to lose my socks because someone, other than a championship team, lifted up a Stanley the Stanley Cup trophy? It just, it just, it, it, it's silly to me, Scott. And I mean, again, I, I, yes, I realize that that every sport has its own certain traditions. I really do, and I, 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 I'm okay with that. But I think it's silly. I mean, to make to get all, you know, your what's the saying? The knickers in a knot over this to me is ridiculous. See, I wouldn't have let them do it. And I'm I'm very oh. compassionate towards what they've been through and I think it was fantastic that they took the Stanley Cup down to them and brought it onto the ice and let them have that experience. But I I I I'm saying like there there is a level that you can go to and then a I A level of what? Come on. It's the God. it's the tradition and the and the the, the history around the cup. <laughs> Come on, you're having fun with me. No, I would not have let them do it. Come on. I wouldn't have. No way. Silly. Oh, because what, the Lord, so the 1926 Canadians would be like going crazy and, you know, above? This is as silly to me as people getting their, getting all tied up and crazy about Josh Hosang, the former Niagara Ice Dog, but uh, going up to the New York Islanders and wearing number 66. That I mean, oh, because Mar- it's Mario's number. You can't wear sixty-six. It's a number. Come on. Well, it's, now it's, it's a trophy. We picked it up. The difference is the difference would be 
if you're going to go and try and wear Mario Lemieux's number, you're going to put a target on yourself because you're obviously setting yourself up for that. Why? But it would be why different why? from wearing why? a retired why? number. Why? Why is he putting a, a target on himself? No, because what he's telling the world is he thinks that he is comparable. Whether that's whether that's what he is trying to say, that's how the, he knows it's going to be interpreted. So and, that means every soccer player in history, Robert, I could go on and on, that ever wore the number 10, which Pele won, should wore should never wear 10? I would argue that if you were in Brazil, you should not wear 10. That you should not have worn 10. And I would argue that if it's a retired number and you went and you said, I demand to wear that, they would never... If, if Connor McDavid had gone to Edmonton as the next one and said, I want 99, and they said, oh, okay. you know, we really want Connor to be happy. We really want to do... But no, tradition says and history says when we retire a number... That number is retired. So even though you're our future and we oh, really no, want to no, make no, you no. happy. Sorry, Connor. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Hold on. I, I can't go that far. If a number is retired by the team, yes, that number should not be worn. But it's, it's not to be w- retired throughout the league. That's nonsense. No, but I'm saying Connor McDavid in Edmonton by the Oilers, and Wayne Gretzky's number is retired, and so and that's, that's why, tradition. And that, number, and that number, no, the tradition is that it's, it's retired. It's not tradition. If it's retired, it's gone. But if the number for that team, but if I'm going to wear 99 with the Leafs or whatever, that's my business. It's a number. I would, not, I would not have let them lift the Stanley Cup over their head because it is part of the intrinsic so tradition. So, so how do we punish them? We're not punishing them. No, we shouldn't punish them. I th- what I'm saying is what should have happened is they should have said, guys, here you go, pose with the cup, take all the pictures. But you, I, I was with the cup one time. And the first thing I was told is when I went to pick it up, you can lift it, but you just don't, just don't lift it over your head. Just don't lift it over your head. And I wasn't going to anyway because I'm probably not even strong enough, quite honestly. But, <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, I, would, I was told that, and that's, in my mind, I know what they've been through is terrible, but I, I think what you did was sufficient by taking it there and giving them that experience. I don't think you blow your traditions Regard any willy nilly for no, I don't. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. So I guess you know what. So then I guess really, due to tradition, the keeper of the cup should be fired. Is that what you're saying, Scott? I would say that they. I would say that the and I don't know who it was because there's a number of keepers of the cup. I don't know if it was our friend friend Phil Pritchard who was down there. Then the on duty keeper of the cup at that moment should be fired. No, but I think probably what should be what should happen is that person should be told. You know what we're um, we do have (laughs) tradition here. We do have rules. Let's uh, let's. I know. I know. But let's make sure. We're going to suspend you for two weeks. Well, no, we're not going to suspend the guy. Just make it clear that's not what is allowed. That's not what's allowed. That's what I would say. I honestly would. I don't. I don't see the need to throw the tradition out because of a circumstance. What if? What if you'd given it? So now, anytime it goes to someone else, they should be able to say, "Well, yeah, but I, you know, I should be allowed to do it too." No, I think there are certain things that, as a champion, look, I've I've held in my hand a 1967 Maple Leaf Stanley Cup ring yes. that one of the players wore, and they said, "Go ahead, try it on." And I was like, "I am not trying it on because I didn't win this. I will hold it. I'll look at it." I'll admire it and I'll be appreciative of it, but I didn't win it, so I'm not going to put it on. I think there are things I would not put on when I bumped into Laura Fortino after her first after her Olympic gold medal four years ago, and she was in a public setting, 
when people were coming by to look at her gold medal, she says, go ahead and put it on. I, I will hold it. I will look at it. I will not put it on because to me, putting that medal around your neck is symbolic of winning it. And that's something special for the person who actually achieved that. That's my point. I think they're, the cup itself is just a giant chunk of silver. And so that's fine, but there is something special that you get when you win it, and that, that's my that's my thought on it. But what, what what you get is to is to be able to hold and own that gold medal, and you can take it home. And this is in this particular situation, um, yeah, maybe if we're Jackson Square, if the the cup was on Jack, at Jackson Square <laughs> and outside and, the and LCBO, and then you know, no, sorry, you can't lift it up. Okay, I might be okay with it. But in this particular situation in which you have brought up, Scott, I am not losing sleep over this. I would encourage you to lose sleep. (laughs) This was a huge etiquette faux pas that should never have happened. And uh, look, all sympathy to the kids. Uh, We want nothing but good things for them. But just because we want good things for them, we don't throw out all the history around a trophy and around a, a, a... significant part of hockey culture. Well, again, I will follow. I will continue to stay with what I was saying, that if this is such a big tradition, and obviously I don't get it, but for those that do agree with you, and I'm sure there's probably most people out there that are listening to us right now think I'm an idiot, and are, 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 are and they're certainly backing you. So if that is the extent of the feeling, then the keeper of the cup, I say, should be punished. Not punished, just told, don't let them do it again. Next person who, regardless of who they are, next person who tries to lift it overhead, you tackle them. But, but Scott, the keeper of the cup would have known that. Oh, so, yeah. So then they, they must be disciplined. They must be disciplined. See, now I'm thinking, well, if it's open season, I want to lift the cup over my head. That's okay. No, it's not okay. And I don't want to lift it over my head because I think that's a special thing. Anyway, that's... um. We will continue with this one, but look, again, congratulations to the folks from that school. Unbelievable they won the state championship after that shooting at their school. Terrible circumstance. Glad they got to hold the cup. Should never have lifted it overhead, but nonetheless, congratulations on your championship anyway. Don't do it again. How long have you and I been, been, you know, either, I know you used to come in the studio. How long have we been doing this? Long enough. Long enough to celebrate a few birthdays. This is the most controversial topic we have ever had. You think so? <laughs> now, next time, I, next time I see Phil Pritchard, who is the guy with the white gloves, who brings the cup out to center ice. He's a Burlington guy. He's been on this show before. Next time I see him, I'm going to ask him what the heck happened. Who dropped the ball and let the kids hoist the cup overhead? Okay, I will come in that day. The next time that happens, I will find. I will take a day off to be on your show to just have a discussion about that. All right, we will. And you know what? You're not going to do while talking to him with the cup in the studio here. You're not going to lift overhead because I'll jump over the desk and tackle you personally. You're not well, going to do it. I, well, it'll be tough because I'm sure he he would know the rules too, and it would be two against one, and I have no chance. You would have a tranquilizer dart shot into your neck before you were able to get it overhead. <laughs> I don't know if that's how they do it most of the time, but I know there's rules. Bubba O'Neill, again, happy birthday, my friend. Folks, you can send Bubba a note. Wish him happy 67th birthday. He's a good man. Sir, appreciate it. Watch him tonight on CHCH. Have a great uh, night. Thanks so much, Mark. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.